Welcome to the Global River Church Discipleship Teaching of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. exactly the right timing. It's so good to see you guys tonight. My name is Ashley Tucker. If you don't know me. Hi. Hi. I'm the oldest of the Tucker kids. There's seven of us. Um, Just a little bit about me. I am 26 years old. I grew up in Franklin, Tennessee, and then we moved to Kansas City when I was 14 to be a part of a ministry called the International House of Prayer. And after finishing out high school there, I went to four years of Bible college there. I did a six-month internship with, um, like, a missions trip with YWAM, Youth with a Mission. So missions is something that's always been on my heart, and um, worship and loving the Lord is something, obviously, that's always been on my heart. So I thought today, um, as we talk about what it means to be created to worship, I would just keep it really personal and talk about um, what the Lord's journey has been with me in teaching me what it means that Ashley Tucker was created to worship God. So um, I think that for me, the biggest thing that he's been teaching me is that being created to worship and being created to love him go hand in hand. For me, it started out, they were kind of, in a sense, they were kind of separate. So I, um, when I was about nine years old, that's when I ended up surrendering my life to the Lord. Um, I was, before that, um, I was so afraid all of the time. Um, but growing up in a Christian household, I knew who God was. I was going to church. I knew um, what worship meant. It was ascribing worth to the Lord. Um, we read about that in Psalm um, 29.2. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. I was always hearing about who he was. And so I, I knew that the first step to worshiping him was telling him back who he was. God, you're worthy. God, you're this. God, you are mighty. You are high and lifted up. So that's, that was my introduction into what it meant to worship the Lord because, because of who he was, he was worthy of us telling him back. And I knew that for generations and from the beginning of time that the Lord has been worthy and all of creation and all of the heavenly hosts have been worshiping him and telling it back to him who he is. Um, But I didn't really experience what it meant for me personally. Worship didn't become personal to me until I surrendered my life to the Lord and experienced him and who he was, his mighty hand, when he rescued me, when he saved me. I was afraid all of the time, and I, was, I knew I was trapped in sin, but the moment that I surrendered my life to him, he brought me out of darkness and into the light, and I knew that what I had been acknowledging him for so long was true. And um, so just to backtrack, I, I forgot to mention that the three points I'm trying to hit tonight are that um, worshiping the Lord... Um, usually requires three things. Acknowledging who he is, 
And then sur- your response of surrender and reverence, like, like how it says in Revelations 4, when John was given a picture of what's going on in heaven, the, in response to seeing the Lord in his holiness, the 24, angel, uh, the 24 elders that are sitting around his throne, they throw down their crowns at his feet and they say, you are worthy. And that's what we do with our lives. When we recognize who he is, we surrender and we lay down our best. So that's how I first got to know what worship was, giving him my first and giving him my best, always acknowledging who he was in every situation and then giving him the best of what I had. So whether I was on the lacrosse field and playing sports or whether I was a senior in high school and stepping up to the plate of being the student body president or taking a big exam the weekend, I was always having him in mind because I knew that he was worthy and I knew what he'd save me out of. But the third point that has been his lifelong lesson on me is that worship for humanity must involve adoration and it must involve love for him. And um, when I was in middle school, I was kind of, I kind of hit a stalling point. I was kind of uncomfortable and I was asking the Lord like, why? What's, what's the point of my life? I don't want to get to the end of my life and think, I, have I done enough for you? Have I lived a successful life to you? What is success to you? I would go to sleep at night and be like, I don't feel like I did enough for you. I don't feel like I lived the way that I want to for you. And I, I know that we'll always feel like sometimes we could give more. And maybe it was also being the oldest, feeling like, oh, I always want to give more. Um, but, um, but I was asking him what the point of life was. And I ended up getting to um, the end of Ecclesiastes one day, and the answer was staring me right in the face. In Ecclesiastes 12:13, after the King Solomon has tried everything under the sun, and every, the, he's, he's tried so many different things, he says, listen, I have tried so many different things, but let me tell you this. Let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. And when I read that, I was like, oh, hey, if I'm doing that, I'm successful. But what does that look like? So then I had another question for the Lord. I mean, his questions usually lead to more questions. So I was like, God, what does it mean to keep your commandments? What does that mean? And so eventually then, as I kept seeking him out and asking him and being in this uncomfortable place, he brought me to Matthew 22, 36 to 40. Gosh, I hope it's Matthew 22 and not Matthew, I thought it was Matthew 26. Yeah, 22? Yeah, 22, okay. And, um, uh, Jesus was answering a lawyer when he, the lawyer was asking him what's the, be- the greatest commandment of all. And he said, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I had heard that so many times. But for some reason, when I read that, that, that time, I realized, oh my gosh, if I... If I am to fear God and keep his commandments, as long as I'm doing this one, which he says is the greatest, then I'm li- I have lived a successful day. I'm going to get back to worship. Don't worry. So I 
that was, that was the second question. But then that brought on a third question. God, how do I love you? I mean, when I, when I read in 1 Corinthians 13, it gives me a pretty clear list of what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. I can kind of tell pretty easily when I'm loving people, but sometimes, like, how do I know if I'm loving you? I, I don't really know if I know if I'm loving you. So then part, I mean, there's a lot of answers to that, but part of the way that he answered it to me was going to John 15, 9 where Jesus is talking to his disciples before he's about to be crucified. I recommend anyone to read through John 15 through 17. And he says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So I knew that there was a connection between loving him with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, doing this commandment and abiding in him. And it was so hundred it was so important to learn how to abide in him. And I think that, hey, it's my friends. Hi, y'all. So we're talking tonight about what it means to worship the Lord. Cool. So, so I um, was learning that I needed to learn how to abide in God. And I think that for, for different people, it means different things. Um, but the, the way that I started understanding it was that in it, loving him went outside, Loving him and worshiping him went outside of these church walls. I could worship him and love, well, what am I trying to say? Uh, I, I needed to learn how to love him with my life. Instead of just giving him actions and giving him burnt offerings and sacrifices, the Lord was like, Ashley, I'm after your heart. I'm after a broken heart. I, again and again, I kept seeing that the Lord is after our hearts, and that he doesn't want um, just, he doesn't, I think that there's a reason why he gave people the first commandment. I think there's a reason why he told us, guys, I want you to love me. He didn't, he, all of creation worships him because he's worthy, but he told us, love me. And I think that there's something really special in the fact that we as people are called to love God. And I think that it's a lifelong pursuit that's important to chase after, to see what it means to love God. And I don't have, <laughs> uh, it's like John where he's like, I could just fill volumes and volumes and volumes. And I, I couldn't even scratch the surface of uh, who Jesus's great love and who he is. And so I could share so much, but I felt like I was supposed to share a story of um, how one of the, it seems so upside down, but God's kingdom is so upside down. One of the ways that he taught me to love him was actually to receive his love first. So I was going to, um, I was going on my missions trip. There was three months of training in Kona, Hawaii. I know, I took one for the team. It's all right, guys. And I know. 
And then I went, um, for a month I went to Brazil, and then for two months I went to Paraguay. We were going to share the gospel a lot. We were going to go house to house, and we were going to be preaching the gospel a lot. And I knew that I didn't have enough in me, and I wanted to give more. And so I asked God, God, I need your heart for these people. That was my question. But his response was, Ashley, I invite you to sit before me 20 minutes every morning and receive my love. I was 24 years old. I had knew, known the Lord for about 15 years now. I thought I got it. Listen, that was like one of the first things you taught me, God, that you, the first commandment's to love you with all my heart. I've been trying that, and I've been, I thought that I've been learning to abide in you. But after a month of putting it off, he didn't change his answer. He was like, Ashley, sit before me for 20 minutes every morning and let me love you. So I was like, okay, I feel like I guess I need to learn a lesson. So we were sleeping in bunks, and I put up a, um, a blanket to give myself a little prayer room so no one could see me. And I woke up, and for 20 minutes, I did it. For a few weeks, I would just sit there, and I'd be like, God, you love me. You love me. And it was really quiet and really awkward at first. But then he brought to remembrance a verse we were learning in class. Romans 5.8, I believe. Romans 5.8. Because we were going through the Romans road, which is like something that helps you preach the gospel to people really quickly. Um, Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I think that as I meditated on that, I just started weeping. And he took me back to the moment when he brought me out of darkness and out of shame and, and out of fear. And he said, Ashley, while you were still suck, stuck in sin, I chased after you and I wanted you. Before you were born, I wanted you. I sent Jesus to the cross to live a perfect life and to die as a perfect sacrifice for you before you were born. And something about that moment, it just really hit me while I was a sinner, you loved me? While I was a sinner, you wanted to chase after me? And maybe sometimes growing up in a Christian household, sometimes the, 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 the power of the gospel sometimes can be hard to grasp because you don't, it's sometimes hard to remember what that moment feels like. But I promise you that if that's your story, if you ask Jesus, he will, he will bring you back to the first moment where you said yes to him. He will show you the power of his love. Anyway, something about that wrecked me. And I, from that moment on, living my life before him, I can't help but give him worship from a place of adoration because I remember that he chases after me when I run away from him. Even today, he chases after me. When I make a mistake, and I don't, maybe I, I don't want to approach him today, he pursues me. He pursues and pursues and pursues. And so my, yeah, that's like the main point. But um, the, the main point is, um, it is worship is acknowledging who he is, surrendering our life to him, and loving him with everything, and maybe the first step is really receiving the fact that he loved you first, and that he created you to be in love with him. And um, in order to sustain a life of worship, and to sustain a life of, of um, being his son or being his daughter, I really believe that 
um, worship has to come from a place of the revelation of his love for you. And he will give it to you. So actually, I'm going to pray real quick that the Lord gives you more of a revelation of his love. And then we'll move on to the next person. God, one of the things I learned in my DTS was testimony. Another definition for that means do it again. So God, I just ask that you would do it again. That if there's someone in this room that needs to receive your love and, and sit before you and quiet their soul, and it, if it has to look awkward at first, give them the grace to sit before you and to receive your love. God, I thank you that you pursue us. You pursue us. You pursued us from the very beginning. You pursued us when we didn't want you. You pursued us when we weren't even born. Thank you, Jesus. And I ask that you would reveal the revelation of your love to, to these people today. And that from that place, it would fuel their, um, their desire to worship you with their whole heart and with their whole life. In Jesus' name, amen. Abide in love. That was on purpose. All right, so um, now I'm actually going to hand off the mic to my mom, Gillian Tucker. Um, she, I, everything, she's the one who raised me up in the way that I am today. I love you. Okay, and I'm an artist. So if you see my multicolored notes, I'm not embarrassed about them. I'm just not. <laughs> but it might be noisy and a little bit messy as I set up here. Well, my name is Gillian Griffith Tucker. And the Griffith comes into my story in just a minute. And I am a lover of Jesus. I love him first, and I love him most. And I've told my kids that. And I've told my husband that. <laughs> my friends know it. He's my best friend. And he's been my best friend since I was five years old. In 1975, I'm 51 years old. And I, um, I met him when I was just a, a, a little girl. I didn't know that there had been other believers in my family line. But God is so faithful. He promises to bless to a thousand generations. And in my family line, I don't know how many thousands of generations I am in my line. But I do know that we had a man, uh, one of my great-grandfathers was John Griffith, who was very good friends with Evan Roberts in the Welsh Revival. I'm Welsh. And in 19, from 1904 to 1906, in Swansea, Wales, there, there was a huge wave of the Welsh Revival that swept through Wales. They say that the sound of the singing you could hear from one end of Wales all the way to the other, and it absolutely interrupted culture. Businesses stopped, restaurants stopped. The coal miners, that's how a lot of them made their living, they would cuss at their donkeys and mules in the coal mines to get them to work, and they stopped cussing because the power of the Lord hit them, and they just couldn't cuss anymore, and so the mules stopped working. <laughs> so the people came up to, to worship services. And in, um, in my little town of Swansea, there's a whole book 
that is very precious to that town, and it, and it rests in this little chapel in a special place, and it's all the wonders of the Lord and all the ways that he came upon my, my people. And so, but I, I did not know this. This was 70 years before I would meet Jesus. I would meet Jesus 70 years later. Um, Christ had, the faith in Christ had skipped a generation or two in the 1940s and the 1950s because my parents did not know Jesus. And they were in their early 30s when uh, this really wild movement in the Lord hit America. And that's how the Lord moves. And what, one thing I want to, to show um, maybe some of the young people, and it's really just been on my heart, people talk a lot about revival. But one thing I want to show is that the Lord is very, um, he's very gracious in giving us revivals. And because he's so orderly, oftentimes they'll come in orderly ways, 50 years later, 100 years later. And if you, if you trace them, it's really beautiful because our God is so beautiful and he always comes on time. But after that Welsh revival, it was about 70 years later, and this beautiful revival hits America. It's called the Jesus Movement. And I was, um, my, my father was swept into, into to loving Jesus, and he changed so much that our entire family was saved because we saw a, a night and day difference between um, both of my parents. They became hungry for the word. My father um, is very musical, and I'd like to say an aside to the kids, if you're a musical, it doesn't mean you're a worshiper. It means you have a gift. It means you have a talent. But if you press your music or your art or your dance or whatever it is that God's given to you into Jesus, if you lean it into Jesus, then it becomes worship. So my dad had been very musical. My, my, my family can pick up any, you know, any instrument and play it, and they've all been singers with this Welsh stuff in them. But, but it was in his generation that it got redeemed back to Jesus. And so he would pick up his guitar at night, and he'd sing these, uh, he'd sing these love songs to Jesus. Ah. He'd sing these love songs to Jesus every night, and they became my lullabies. And to this day, when I hear the acoustic guitar, I had a good dad, but I feel the love of the father when I hear those songs. And he would um, bring me to a nursing home after church. I was like five. And he'd set me up on the table. And, um, and I'd sing this little song to the nursing home people eating their lunch. In God's green pastures feeding, by his cool waters lie. Soft in the evening walk my Lord and I. All the sheep of his pasture fare so wondrously fine. His sheep am I. Water's cool in the valley, pastures green on the mountain. In the evening walk my Lord and I. And then I'd imagine holding his hand. <laughs> Jesus became my best friend. And I don't say that with embarrassment. I just say that with love. I've had this best friend for 46 years. I, I didn't um, know Jesus yet. I was seeing this transformation in my, in my parents, in my family. And my dad worked for the, the Central Intelligence Agency. And he was an analyst who briefed brief the president every day on the ballistic missile crisis with, um, with Russia and wanting to bring that number down. And, um, and so that brought us to Switzerland for two years when I was five and six years old. And um, we lived in Geneva in a little tiny apartment. It was meant for one person to live in, but my brother and my mom and my dad and I all lived in this little apartment. 
And that is where I did meet Jesus, through a beautiful book about Switzerland called Treasures in the Snow. And still, the worship continued. My father was very, very hungry. He was also a student, and so he met the Schaefers. I don't know if you've heard of Francis and Edith Schaefer, but he was part of Labrie, and um, he was a real student, and so he, that was a real part of our lives. And also, we met a very precious Christian family. And now, don't get jealous, okay? Our, some of our best friends in Switzerland was Corey Temboom. <laughs> <laughs> and her nephew, Peter von Verden, and his family. And it was just the Lord's grace that when this young, um, young believer and his family would be tucked under the wing of these deep, deep believers. And um, since then, we found actually many parallels in our family story and, and their family story. But, I remember, but for me, I was just a little girl running down the hallway in my patent leather shoes with my mom going, shh, Gillian, shh. And I remember jumping into Corey Tenboom's lap and, and hugging her and, um, and just learning the grace of the Lord and the gentleness of the Lord from her. She was so kind. And we actually had um, more of a relation, I mean, even more of a, like a, a friendship, hangout relationship with Peter Von Verden and his family. And they actually were one of a kind. They, um, they were ahead of their time or as I'm seeing in the Lord, they're a part of what the Lord always does. Let me say that when he comes upon his people. They were a part of a missions movement, and they would go to Israel and bring their five kids who played instruments and who sang, and they would do what was very unusual at the time, musical missions. And, and they, would, they would sing to the, to the Jewish people in Israel. Um, they were hungry for souls, and they were seeing souls saved. And then they'd come back to America, and they would teach the American church or the European church about Israel. And there really wasn't much crossover or understanding with that in those days. Uh, they also would travel about in trailers. They'd set up worship tents. Does this all sound familiar? Yeah? I mean, what I, what I was kind of getting as I was looking over was, this is what the Lord does. He's so happy with tents. Um, the other day, some of my friends were getting some RVs, they were, and they were going off you know, to do missions work with the Lord, and the Lord said to me, caravan of the righteous. Like, this is what he does. He, he sends his people on a pilgrimage. He loves, he loves to win souls. He loves his worship to go forth. Um, but the Von Verdens were a lot of fun. Um, they set up a tent in one of their rooms. I mean, they were just a lot of fun, and they were very kind to us. And um, they came to visit us in America. And one day, I was in Virginia, and the Von Verdens came to visit us um, at my grandmother's house. And we were taking a picture all together outside of this trailer, which was a lot of fun to explore uh, as a little kid, you know. And I stepped back, and it was like the Lord did a little... You know, well, we used to go like this when we took a picture. We don't, we don't go like that. But the Lord was like, and I knew that the Lord was giving me a picture of my life. But I didn't know why, and I didn't know how. But I knew that there was something with the Von Verdens that the Lord was going to repeat in my life. So we went 70 years from the, the Welsh revival and then uh, another, uh, you know, 50 years. And here I am. Here I am, 50 years after the Von Verdens, here I am with our family, who we say is a family from the nations, 
to the nations, musical missionaries. We're a part of this amazing group of revivalists with their tents and their worship and love for Israel. And here God goes again. There must be subjects that are on his heart that are so precious to him that he will repeat them over and over and over again until the full light of dawn. And I do believe that you guys you, that, in, that every generation benefits from the one behind. And, you know, I was thinking about the verse that talks about that God commands us to sing psalms, um, spiritual songs, and new songs. And get this, no song is out of date. Maybe our <laughs> new songs today are going to be the psalms of tomorrow. But in every age, there's been songs that sounded raw, folksy, liturgical, psalms, you know, formal in every generation. And what he was laying on my heart this week was, Gillian, if you look in nature, if you look in the forest, all the plants go together. Like, you can't go wrong. I've never seen, when I've gone on a nature walk, none of it ever doesn't match, you know? So it is with our praise. So it is because we are made for love. We are made to worship him. We all go together, of course, because we're one body, right? We all fit together. My heart was broken sometimes in our last 10 years um, among young people um, at a very strong missions organization, and they would kind of make fun of music from my era, the 1980s, um, or the 70s, and they would say, well, you know, that's not in anymore. But you know, if God can step out of time, it's all in time for him. I think it's a symphony of praise. And I, I know that the song of the lamb is something different, but I think that there is, that God could literally hear all of our praise at once if he wanted to. And I think it all goes together. So I think that that's fantastic. Um, so I fell in love with Jesus. I was the shyest little girl there ever was. I was painfully shy. If this was my mom, this was me. Yeah, that, hi. <laughs> no, I wouldn't have said hi. Um, and people would make fun of me at church for that. Um, we went to a church in College Park, Maryland, which was pretty rough because my parents were very evangelical and they wanted to send out the gospel and they, so they wanted to go to the hardest places in the city. And so we hung out in the inner city of Washington, D.C., doing missions work for a lot of my life. But it also felt a little dangerous at church for me. It just did because the kids were pretty rough and they would bully and I was very, very shy. And the first thing that the Lord, the, the first transformation of the Lord with worship was I would find that when I came into his presence, I would come into the presence of a best friend. And, and pretty soon he would say, hey, Gillian, when, when you go back out there, like I would literally run into the bathroom to hide. I don't know if anyone has ever done that with a red solo cup and hidden in a bathroom before, but I would go hide in the bathroom because I was so shy and I would sing worship praise to Jesus. And then when I was calm, he would say, now I want you to go out. And he started a, a phrase with me. He said, I want you to go love on the corner people, meaning I want you to search the corners and I want you to find someone who's more shy or someone who is hurting more than you and you go love on them. And it, became me a, it made me into a lover. Um, by the time that I got to high school, I, um, you know, they say that 20 hours in a human being's presence and they begin to fall in love. So be careful, okay? That's what I tell my kids. 
20 hours in another human being's presence, and you can develop feelings for one another that are very similar to the attachment of attraction or love. Yeah, so yeah, that might be a good app for you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, we talked to our kids about that. But um, I spent so much time with the Lord that we were very bonded. And I had a really busy schedule. And so, like y- you guys all do. And so I would set my alarm for 4.50 in the morning so that I could curl my perm. I had a great perm. And I wanted to look like Amy Grant. I don't know if anybody remembers her. And then I would, I would go into praise and worship with the Lord. And it wasn't just singing. I, I think that there's, there's kind of a trifecta with the Lord. If, if you're a worshiper with praise, he's going to make you love his word. And if you love his word, you won't be able to help but sing it. And if you are singing his word, you're, you're going to um, be praying for those that he puts on your heart or for, for the ideas that he puts on your, uh, that are on his heart. He'll put those in your heart. So all those things were happening to me. And, uh, again, and uh, we, um, I would praise God going to the bus. And when I was about a sophomore in high school, um, I noticed that <laughs> there was a literal, literal shift going on on the bus. I was not cool, y'all. I was shy, you know, whatever. But I'd get on the bus, and all these big football players in the bus would go. And I didn't know what it was. And then after about two months of that, I told my brother, who was really cool, to go sit in the back of the bus and tell me what they were saying back there, because nobody wants to be talked about. I didn't know what they were saying. And so he reported to me that afternoon. He said that the guys were saying, hey, shut up. Gillian's on the bus. Stop cussing. (laughs) Because the light was exuding. And um, I would sit in homeroom class, and and there were two guys in my homeroom who who were convinced I had a secret boyfriend. Because I would come in with my Moses glow, with my radiance in the morning, and they were just convinced I was in love. (laughs) And I was. I was. So... um, Life went, oh, I was supposed to ring my cowbell and tell my husband more cowbell, baby. <laughs> anyway. Um, when I, so life was going really well, but, um, but when I was in my 20s, I met a wonderful man, tall guy from church named Richard, and we got married. Um, we, we moved to, to Nashville, Tennessee, and we raised a family there for 18 years until the Lord called us to be intercessory missionaries, which is a big, long story, which we probably don't have time for. But he is the tree, and I am the vine. <laughs> I'm the creative, and he, and he, is, uh, he is just so steady and so beautiful. And so we were raising our, our babies, and we were raising them with song. We were raising them for worship. We took um, Deuteronomy very seriously, that, that we were supposed to um, talk about Jesus on our way, and and as we raised up and as we lay our heads down and um, Ashley was, she worshiped in the, well, she, she worshiped personally later, but she worshiped in the womb. Um, but that was our, de- those were our deconstruction years and those are good years. Those are really good years. And I found out that Psalm 27 is so, so accurate that when you're Davidic, when you are a praising person, that you are going to run slam into warfare, 
misunderstanding, betrayal, you run into warfare. Because when the Davidic rises, the Saul rises. So we had issues um, with family members. We had issues with a church that drummed us out of town, um, made up a lie about us and drummed us out of town. And that broke my heart. Um, I lost a baby. Um, I was five months pregnant, and I lost a baby. And I had learned, I'd sung over and over and over, you are my hiding place. You always fill my heart with songs of deliverance whenever I... <sighs> I just ran right to my dining room table. I knew where... I, I just put the kids in safe places, and every morning I would run to the dining room table, and I would leave puddles of tears there while the Holy Spirit taught me from his word, while I worshiped him, and while he put me back together. And now I'm able to comfort other women who've lost babies because of because our songs of deliverance are not just for us, they are for, are for others. We are going to comfort others with the mercy that we've received. That's the mercy that we get to give to others. I actually lost four other babies, and it was devastating every time, but the Lord gave a message every time, and he is so faithful. He is so faithful, and we don't have to be afraid of him hurting us or um, ever being too hard on us, because he is always with us. But those were our just deconstruction years. Um, you know, Nashville's Music City, I had a pretty voice, I had a prettier me, and I thought that I was going to get a music contract, because I had met a producer, and he was talking about an album, and then he had a jealous family member that came in, like it happens a lot in the music world, and it was pulled from me. And I went to the Lord in tears, and I was, just, I was just like, oh, that seems so unfair. Okay, well, maybe something else is coming. And he said, no, honey, nothing else is coming because you're to sing in front of your babies. You pour yourself out in front of your babies with worship. That's as far as this is going to go. And I said, yes, Father, I'll do that. And then what? <laughs> yeah. Then what? No. You pour your life into these babies. And I did. And what I found halfway in, you know, here this beautiful woman is 26 years old. What I found about 13 years into that, because it took a long time for my selfishness to die, it took a long time, was that a seed needs to go into the ground to die, to produce a hundredfold. And there might be generations that aren't seen, that are hidden away where none can see that are hidden away in the secret place, that are germinating. And guess what? We've had foster kids in our home who've met Jesus. We have, we have three beautiful family lines from Ethiopia and from the Marshall Islands in our family who will worship Jesus for eternity because that seed went into the ground. And it needs to go into the ground more. That is painful, but death brings about fruitfulness. It always brings about new life and resurrection. And so when, when I have the honor of standing here and with my kids who are now worshipers and not just worshipers, but Levites, and there's a lot to unpack that, but, but, but really priests unto the Lord, I'm just in awe of the Lord that we get to worship him for all of our days. I think one of my favorite verses, and I ran into it um, during our IHOP days, um, was, uh, was in Isaiah, I believe it's Isaiah 60, 
And it says that in the New Jerusalem, when Jesus comes back, some Gentiles are going to have the privilege of being Levites in the temple. And when I, when I first saw that, I wept for about an hour. There, um, and I'll just, I'll just share one story. I'm, sh I'm, sure that, um, I'm sure my time is running short. But I just want you to know that, uh, that worship is simple because God is near. And if you personalize your singing, if you personalize the word, if you personalize prayer, then that's all worship. It's so powerful. And, um, and that's, all I, that's all it is. Um, in the beginning of the pandemic, the Lord said, Gillian, don't let anyone else sing your song. There's been a lot of participation in watching music on a, on a platform. Now, I love that Global River calls it an altar. And that's aptly named, and it's been anointed as an altar. Yeah. So it's been switched here. But, but, um, but worship isn't just part participating. At, I mean, I'm sorry. Just sorry. What is the word? It's, it's not um, passively watching um, in your seat. But, but what is your song? What is your song? It might surprise you. Get out, you can get out your, your app, you know, your, your recording app on your phone. And I just, I just highly suggest for you to get into the Psalms. And, and when you read something that's personal, speak it back to God as a prayer. And then maybe put a little melody on it. Just even three notes like la, 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 la. You know, I love you, Lord. You are majestic. Holy is your name. And you're singing back to God. And then you know what happens is Zephaniah 317, he sings back to you. Um, but w when we were in Nashville, I just, I'll share this story and then, and then this, this will be it for me. Um, Alicia was joking with me that you really need 15 hours for worship, not 15 minutes, right? Um, but we, it was, um, 2010, it was the year that the Lord, um, called us to be priestly missionaries of worship. And we would end up, um, he, Richard was an industrial engineer for Bridgestone Firestone. We would end up being called to pour out all of our life savings and our strength and everything to go uh, worship the Lord uh, for 10 years with our family. And um, it was a very exciting time. We, um, becoming a priestly family, we even lived on a street named Cypress Court <laughs> in a house that looked like Noah's Ark. It was really cool. And um, those years were hard. Uh, it was more de deconstruction. We, um, we were fostering two kids from the inner city, and um, it was a lot of culture clash, and, um, but it was, it was beautifully hard. And we had also just adopted um, Ava and Brooke. So there, there, was, there was a lot of mommy, 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 you know, in my life. And so I am a worshiper, and I could not find my quiet places. And it's always been a struggle. That's part of the seed going into the ground for me. But, um, but that, very close to that year, um, I had discovered that there was this girl out there named Misty Edwards, and she apparently worshipped Jesus all the time. 
And it was like 24-7, and I, did, and I did not know that the Lord was also doing this in boiler rooms over in England, and that this, this was happening all over the earth, that the Lord was getting so hungry for the praise of his name, that the dawn is increasing so much that this worship was coming. And when I heard that there was 24-7 worship, I, I heard about it on 7707, the, when Lou Engle is giving this rally called The Call in Nashville. But I hit, yeah, I Sarah, I hit the floor. I, I think that's the first moment that the Holy Spirit really knocked me out. And I just, I, I was just lying on the floor for hours going, oh my gosh, oh Lord, there is an expression here on earth that's like heaven. Oh, and that there are other people who love to worship you, and it was so glorious. Um, but, um, but in 2010, we knew that we were going to be going out to IHOP. We were shifting our lives around. We had found a really wonderful family that was appropriate and right for these foster kids, and it was a good situation. When a thousand-year flood hit um, Nashville, and you guys know about tornadoes and floods and all of this, so I'm, I'm preaching to the choir with everything tonight, but, um, but the, the river crested at 53 feet above something. I mean, it was, it was devastating. 10,000 people were displaced from their homes, um, and, and, the, and the river, it came in very, um, the flooding came in very quickly, and we lived in a neighborhood that had a river at the back of it, and we actually had two homes in that, that neighborhood. And um, when we he heard that, that the National Guard had showed up in our neighborhood, um, Richard and some of the older boys, the water was already up to our waist, um, they started waiting out into the night to help people in wheelchairs and animals get, you know, and, and property get out of homes. I know that many of you have been through this. And the Lord did something new with me. Instead of just praying, he said, I want you to worship this night, and I want you to gather all of your children and I want you to make an altar in your living room. And when the mighty floodwaters rise, they will not come near you. And you will make your first declarations, because I never made a declaration in my life. We were good Presbyterians. And so I gathered all the children together, and we worshiped through the night. And what came out of the declaration was very unusual. I didn't understand it until I studied it later. I love when God does that. But, but we asked the shepherd to put his staff down in the water and that the waters would not reach the threshold of our home. I didn't know about threshold. I didn't know about any of that. And um, when, we were, when it was safe enough, when the waters had finished falling and we were able to wade back into the neighborhood, every house of, uh, in our neighborhood had had water to the second floor, except for us, where the water had gone to the threshold and no farther. Yeah. Yeah. There was an, another girl I was praying with that night. She, had, she joined in our worshiping. Her husband was out of town, and she had little babies in her house. Her house was this little, tiny, one-story house right next to a creek. And we literally prayed that verse that I just said from Psalm 32, 7, I believe, um, that when the mighty floodwaters rise, they will, they will not reach you. That night... She worshiped through the night, and when she pulled her blinds in the morning, because she was, you know, it was, such a fear, it was such a fearful night, there was a wall of grass, like all around her house, a wall of grass, and etched in that wall were angels, the, the shape of angels all the way through. So I, I know that when trouble comes, it says in Psalm 27, we are to run into our safe place. And we can do that with worship. 
And um, we just have had a lifetime of seeing that he is trustworthy. I've been young and I've been old, but I've never seen the Lord forsake his own. So bless you. Daniel, am I on? I am. Wow. This is a first for me. Okay, good evening. My name is Pat Bradford, but I'm called B. And B is a name the Lord gave me. It's short for Bumblebee. And it's my warrior name. If you want to know more about that, see me after. Um, Father, I thank you that all the words that I say will be of you and for you and by you and bring you great glory in Jesus' name. I'm a worshiper, okay? I worship in song. There was a while that I was in the choir, and I'd be the one back there going like this, and we had boards on the floor so I could make my board bounce. It was really cool because I couldn't sing, so I just was more demonstrative. But I worship with the shofar. I worship in my giving. I worship with my time. And I worship with flags. So tonight I'm going to talk to you about flag worship. Um, and we all know Pastor Tom's story about when he first came here and he saw them with the flags and it kind of freaked him out. And I have to tell you that it was that way for me. The first time I saw somebody worshiping with flags, I'm like, ooh, what's this? So we'll talk about that. But let me, um, I'm going to try and do a couple of things. Um, most of the young people don't know me, so I'm going to bring you up to date. As a worshiper, in January, January 30th, 2020, a year past this last January, I was injured. I was injured in this part of my body, the part that holds my flag. Arm badly broken, shoulder torn out, nerves damaged, wrist messed up. Sort of funny, huh, that I'm a worshiper, and yet my worship instrument is now out of commission. And so I went 13 months in therapy and not being able to move my arm past here. That was my range. Until this February. And God gave me miracles. I stood the entire time believing he would give me a miracle. And it came. And he used that time. He redeemed that time. But... To bring you up to speed, for those of you that don't know, on Thursday, February 25th, I had an appointment with a brand new doctor. I'd been waiting one year to get in to see this guy, and I'm going to see him. And Thursdays are ministry days for me. I, I volunteer at First Fruit. So I went in to volunteer, had my clothes in the bathroom, changed into the outfit to wear to the doctor, especially one I'd never met before, go to the doctor. I come back, and I'm worshiping. But fast forward backwards or roll back two days. On Tuesday, I was anxious about seeing this new doctor. So I called Pastor Tom and I said, I'm anxious about seeing this new doctor and what he might tell me. Um, like my whole world's running here. You know, I've been out of work for I'm going on a year out of work. Um, and Pastor Tom prayed with me over the telephone. And I remember him saying, Lord, just let her be able to worship with flags again. 
And I interrupted him rudely, and I don't normally do that. And I said, Lord, just let me put my hands in the air again and worship you with my hands in the air. Those were our prayers on Tuesday. Thursday, I go in to do ministry. I go to the doctor. He orders all these tests, which turned out to be really cool because I have the proof. Um, And I go back to, to the ministry, and the Lord gives me the start of the miracle. Eight days later... Eight days later, I'm watching a video that Pastor Bishop put on up on March 6th. I'm sitting in my breakfast, eating breakfast at my counter. I finish it. I'm watching his video. And he says, if you've got something that hurts, we're going to do this. You know, I'm not going to just talk about faith. We're going to put it into activation. And I had banged up my knee in the garage the night before doing something stupid. And um, I knew that's Thursday night. And I knew Friday morning. Um, if I went into the physical therapist with a banged up knee, he was going to take me off of physical therapy. And I, I, you know, I need every minute of physical therapy to to get well, you know, because I'm, I'm on a mission. I'm 14 months, 13 months into this thing. Um, and so I'm watching his video. So I had so much faith that I put this hand on my knee (laughs) and then I went, okay, I put this hand here. (laughs) He prays. He says, now check it. I checked the knee. It's a little better. And then I went, so there's some, there's some rust here that needs some work, but I had an MRI that showed that I had a torn supraspinatus. And then on the 25th, when I went to the doctor, he ordered all these tests and he ordered the one where they give you the shot with the dye so they can really see everything because my physical therapist thought that there was something under the torn supraspinatus that was keeping my arm from lifting. And um, so then I, between that appointment and praying with Pastor Tom and the miracle, I went and did these tests. So I go one exactly four weeks later, March 25th, I go back to the doctor and the radiologist report says no evidence of a rotator cuff tear. None. And the the muscle underneath, I can't remember what it's called, no evidence of a tear there either. So I have the the two reports. Rotator cuff tear, no rotator cuff tear. So anyway, I just wanted you to know that. Um, I just wanted you to know that. Because young people, you don't know me, and I have some things here for you. The Lord didn't cause my injuries. He used them. He took that 13 months, and he restored my heart. Because it turns out that my orthopedic surgeon kept telling me, I think you have PTSD. That's why you're not healing. I think you have PTSD. And after about the sixth month of him telling me that, I said, Lord, do I have PTSD? And I kind of got a yes. And I'm like, okay, what do I do about that? And I kind of got the name of somebody I was supposed to talk to, talked to Pastor Tom about it, got started doing that. And in over the 13 months of my healing on the outside, he was healing the inside. Because I'd had a really crummy childhood, y'all. I had abuse. I had just all kinds of crummy things happen to me as a kid. And my heart was fractured. And he needed to put that fracture back together so that he could then put this fracture back together and put this shoulder back together, put this wrist back together and put these nerves back together. So 
He is a good, good father, and he is always working. Even when we don't see him working, he's working. If I hadn't had that time off, I wouldn't have gotten this healed, and I wouldn't trade anything for that. I wouldn't. It was all worth it. Every bit of the pain I went through, the addiction to the opioids, it was all worth it. Um, Okay, so we're going to talk about flag worship. In Isaiah 6-3, Isaiah is describing a vision he had in heaven. And he's saying he sees angels. And angels are all around the throne. Tens of hundreds of thousands of angels. And what are they doing? They're declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now those in heaven are giving glory to God. They're worshiping God 24-7. When we get there, that's what we're going to do. But when we enter into worship here, when we sing, when we raise our hands, when we bring out a set of flags, we're joining those angels and we're joining all the saints up there and we're worshiping together. And it's amazing. And Daniel, are we not going to start the dealie? Sorry, I kind of wanted you to start the dealie when we started. But that's okay. Lord's, Lord's good with it. Um, I have found that any situation in my life improves with worship. And I know without a shadow of a doubt that you can worship your way out of anything. Okay? And let me ask you, those of you who are here, who wants answers and relief for when the enemy comes against you? Anybody? Okay. How about for when you're having a bad day? Raise your hand. Anybody want relief when you're having a bad day? How about when you've gotten some really bad news? How about when you said something stupid that you regret? How about when your pockets are empty, your car's out of gas, and the cupboard's bare, and there's no food in it, the electric bill's due, the house payment's due, the the car payment's due, and the checking account says there's nothing in it, okay? How about when your heart's broken? How about when you're fighting through withdrawal to addiction, drugs, alcohol, sugar, caffeine, energy drinks, okay? How about when you've been abandoned, rejected, cursed by someone you love? How about when you've been offended or you've caused offense? There's one universal thing, one universal thing. Worship is your answer. It is. Now, if you doubt any of those things I just said, see me anytime and I'll explain to you the times that happened with me. I even did withdrawal through drugs with worship. Okay? So, young people, if you don't have worship on your phone or anybody else in here, if you don't have worship on your phone that you can hit when the internet is out, if you've downloaded it, do it. If you don't know what to download, Bethel Music is a great place to start. They have all these medleys. I listen to them constantly when I'm in physical therapy. I've had my 110th physical therapy session. Um, That's not counting the 60 hand therapy sessions. So, Now, every week, I told you I volunteer at First Fruit. And at First Fruit, that's people who are poor, people who are homeless. Some of them are coming out of sex trafficking, the sex trade. And you'd be surprised at how many of the people that are homeless or in those situations, they love God. And if you put them in a safe setting where they can worship, they will worship. 
And every afternoon on Thursdays at 3 o'clock, we have a worship service. And these people, they worship. Is the video going to work at all, Daniel? Okay. Now, all of our flags were made by this woman here. Well, most of them here. Her name is Claire, and she's with Call the Flag. And she and her husband made these flags that we have here. Pastor Tom bought them. Um, and she's amazing. So they have tutorials. They have color charts. They have everything you want on their website. So if you want to study a video to know how to do, this is my friend Jan Clemens. She's new here. And Jan and I both learned how to flag from the same woman. We'd be in worship, and this woman could be doing these amazing things. And it looked so cool. And I wanted to do it. I wanted to do it so bad. But I sat in my chair week after week, and I didn't get up. I didn't ask her anything. And then one day I went over and I said, show me how to do that. And she said, okay, here. <laughs> that was my instruction. But you know what? That's all you need to know. Um, these flags that Claire makes have a wand in them. And if you, if you use them as a weapon or a toy, whatever, you can break it and they're expensive to repair. The only, only bit you need to know is this part's supposed to be down towards the ground. It keeps it from breaking and that's good. But there's no rules. But flagging is not a spectator sport. Flagging is not a team sport. Flagging is an individual, one-on-one -on -one worship to God. And there's times when you're worshiping, Holy Spirit comes in, and he takes over, and it's like you're holding on to the flags, and he's driving them. And it is amazing. If you watch Claire, and later on you're going to see David, and um, it's just incredible. So you don't need any instruction. You don't need any training. You just need to get up and get a flag and start worshiping. Okay? So what else do I have to tell you? Yes, please. Worship is an equalizer. The homeless in a room will worship, and they are equal with everyone else in the room. We are to make a joyful noise. This is not a performance. Now, if you've seen Pastor's grandson, the little one, the boy, a couple, couple weeks ago, he was up here, and he was worshiping, and his little face, he was so into it. Faith has been back with us a couple of weeks, and last Sunday, I was talking to Faith, and I was saying, because she was over here, and she was just, she was just having this great time, and I'm like, Faith, why don't you do that up there? Why are you just doing this up there? And she just looked at me, and I said, watch this. And she went, ooh. So then she did it. And I did a couple other things. And then she did it. And then we came over here. So that's all you need to learn. That's all you need to learn. And when the music is playing, you're worshiping. Holy Spirit partners with you because he loves it. Now, a lot of us went to see Blake Healy in um, Whiteville. And Blake Healy says, um, he sees angels like all the time. And he says when the worship team is setting up, the angels are in here getting bowls of blessings and healings and other things going on. And they're often running up and down with these beautiful, beautiful banners. That's my time's up. And Gillian's mom made these flags for our toddlers. 
because children normally just like to run. And what better thing than for them to run worshiping the Lord? And Pastor Tom said that we were supposed to tell you where we want to go, where we see ourselves going, where we see the church going. And I see more of you worshiping. And you can do it in the back corner. You can do it in your row while we've got these rows. It's really cool. And once you've gotten comfortable with one flag, once you've gotten comfortable with two flags, you just put the movement with you and you start to dance. We all know Mary Esther is our dancer. And so are uh, Teresa and the rest of them. But you just put some dance to it. And it just gets amazing. So I see little people running up and down with flags. I see it. I see it in my head. I see it. Little ones, the toddlers. And I see us, all of you, can worship outside in a tent. Come into the building and worship the same way. Young people jump. Young people worship. That's what I see for this church. That's what. And when you worship like that, Heaven comes down to meet you. Holy Spirit comes down to meet you. The angels go completely berserk in the room. They're running up and down. They're throwing bowls of blessings on people. They're throwing healings on people. It's incredible. And that's what we want here. So there's colors. You can break down barriers. Sometimes when it's bad in here, there's a barrier. You can feel it. There's a hindrance. Something's going on and we can't quite get into worship. We get the red flags out. We get the amber flags out. We get the fire flags out. And it can break through that. It can break through witchcraft. It can break through lots of things. So you'll see us, some of us, will we'll go and get those red flags. Um, that's probably enough, you guys. We never got to the men, did we, Daniel? Darn. Okay, that was David. Um, he's incredible. Again, you can find this website on the website. It's called Call to Flag. There's tutorials. There's all kinds of great stuff, what the, what the colors mean. And um, come and worship. Come and worship. Come and worship. Oh, did I tell you that um, Jillian's mom made these? So y'all thank her when you see her. I'm really filled up right now. I don't know about y'all. You know, I, the Lord just downloaded. He said, I, I want to have the worshipers tell it like it is. And you never know how it's going to go. You just say, well, okay, release them. But this has been really awesome and rich. I'm like, I am really excited. And so one of the, um, after so many years of, of desiring worship, what's happening right now is it's the heart connection. I've been in places where there's a performance. Well, people are really skilled musicians. They'll come and they're really, but if the heart's not in it, it's not in it. And he knows the difference and so do we. So that's what's going on right now. There's a, there's a, there's a remnant of worshipers in the house that um, are in this place of desiring to give him this gift of love. I, I love what you said, Ashley. That was really, yeah. And, and invested. So you can be a worshiper even if you are brand new to the Lord, <laughs> um, 
me, I was probably the, the least of all. You know my story. Came in, nuclear engineer, left brain. This whole business is like, what is that? But now it's like, oh, we long for it. So let's stand. We're going to just enter into this place. And on Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, wherever you're at, worship nights, small group meetings, let the, the love of God rule and reign in our hearts. And what B said, when you're having a bad day and it is not going, offer the sacrifice of praise. When you're in a bad place, you got a bad attitude, you got a bad report, offer the, the sacrifice of praise because he will inhabit the praise of his people. And so, Lord, we come and I'm asking you, Lord, to bring us into a place where our worship is pure and it's genuine from the heart. And the Davidic worship, the tent of David is being restored in the earth. He prophesied that that would come, and there's a season now that the door is opening for those who worship him in spirit and truth. So, God, I ask that you'd make this place, because if that infectious worship comes together from enough hearts, when the wounded and the broken and the addicted and those that are in a hard place walk in the door, they will be apprehended by the Holy Spirit, and you won't even have to say a word. I've been in meetings with like that where the sovereign presence of God bring salvation, healing, and deliverance. Mm -hmm. And that's what I long for. Yes. I long to see yes. people free yes. from that. Jesus. Let's worship. Jesus. We're going to do a song that, um, can you hear me? This song is the journey. It's about our journey. Um, these guys are awesome worshipers. My wife, <laughs> Mary Esther, Ron, uh, Ron calls our band the Heartfelt Worship Band. We get together and just worship um, as much as we can. But um, this was written when we were um, visiting Ron and Mary Esther on their vacation for their um, uh, honeymoon, 20th, 20th anniversary. And we were just so excited. We enjoy doing outside stuff and appreciate nature. But this song is about the journey, how awesome it is. I was reading in Psalm 63. You know, where it says early in the morning you, you, you get up and the Lord's there. And I was looking out at the ocean and I'm like, wow, the Lord created all this for our journey. And this is what came out of it. This song is um, called The Journey.
so much to see. No hesitation, no destinations, be free. I unveil my heart, touch the green. journey is so much to see anticipation great expectation mysteries just open your heart and receive so open your eyes there's so much to see Open your heart, I've got plans for you and me. Come away, come away with me. No hesitation, no destinations, be free. Anticipation. Great expectations, mysteries. I unveil my heart, just believe. So open your eyes, there's so much to see. Open your heart, I've got plans for you and me. Open your ears, take in the sounds. Open your heart, see there's glory all around.
Jesus, we love your heart to uh, just to allow us to enter in the grace that you give us to enter into worship with you to complete communion where there is no separation, where you strengthen us, where you nourish us, where you meet with us, where, where we can sup with you. Lord, I just ask that you let all that's been shared tonight, Father, just marinate, marinate. Let us marinate in that. Let us just soak up every nugget, Father. Lord, I thank you for the time that was spent for those that were praying and, and, and giving and pouring out tonight in worship and in word. Father, I, we thank you. And, you know, we just, Psalm 24, uh, I'm sorry, Psalm 27, 4, and I've got, I don't want to miss this. So, one thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I will gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. Lord, that we go in your temple, God that we can gaze upon your beauty, God. So God, as we just close out this evening, we say thank you, thank you, thank you, Abba, Papa, Daddy. Thank you, Jesus. And thank you for the Holy Spirit that you've given us that breathes life in us and allows us to express all different kinds of worship, Father. We just love you. And we worship you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.